Here at Early Excellence, we specialize in early childhood education. We offer expert advice and guidance through training, consultancy, and classroom design. With the Early Excellence podcast, we aim to inspire and support you as well as challenge your thinking. So if that's what you're looking for, you've come to the right place. Hello, everybody. Andy Burt here. Welcome along to episode 104 of the Early Excellence podcast. In this week's episode, we talk to Saya Mariner from the Co-op Academies Trust. Now, Saya is the Director of Early Years for Manchester, Staffordshire and Merseyside. And she joins us to talk all about the importance of self-regulation skills and also the characteristics of effective learning. And she shares lots of her own experiences uh, in developing inspirational practice. So, um, so yeah, lots to think about here, lots to listen to and really reflect on, I would say. So, so yeah, here you go. Here's my Early Excellence podcast chat with Saya Mariner. Thank you very much for joining us. How are you? You okay? I'm good. I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's great to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure. It is a pleasure. Now I feel like I know you bizarrely in that um in that we've we've crossed paths before. I, I came to um your school a long time ago and I was trying to think when it was. Um four or five years ago, maybe, maybe more. 2017, 2018, I think was, um, the project wasn't in year one for Key Stage 1. And I think that's when we first met. Yes, yes, it was a long time ago. I remember I came to your school, you were at ESA and um, you'd been doing a project with my colleague Nova on developing the practice in Key Stage 1. So I kind of feel like I know you in that I've met you when I visited to do a room plan. But also, um, you were one, absolutely one of Nova's star pupils <laughs> in terms of the project. You know, she would often mention mention your name uh, when we were talking about Key Stage 1 practice, when we were talking about um, kind of the projects that she's been doing and how it's worked within schools. So in, so some, for both of those reasons, I kind of feel like I know you already. Not that I really ha- know you that well at all. Um would you? We're going to talk about all sorts of things, aren't we? Um, as part of your current role. So, in terms of your current role, you're the director of early years at the Co-op Academy Trust. You you work across a range of different different academies. And then previously, as I mentioned just before, you you go in. You did work at uh, ESA Academy um, as um, early years lead. So. Tell us a bit about your background then. So I've, I've kind of put it into a nutshell there, but tell us a bit about, about your background. Tell us about your current role. Tell us, tell us, just give us a bit of an introduction if you wouldn't mind. Okay, uh, so I've been in early years for around 18 years now. Um, was It kind of fell into it really because I did a psychology degree and originally wanted to be an educational psychologist. And back then, uh, one of the routes into that was to go into teaching first. So that's kind of, that was my plan really, was to go into, into educational psychology. But I loved teaching so much, I kind of stayed there. Um, I did a PGCE and specialised in early years. Um, and yeah, I've, I've worked in a range of settings since. So, kind of worked in um, schools in in more affluent areas, uh, and you know the challenges that they present. Um, and then most recently at ESA in Bolton, where that was you know high deprivation, high levels of EIL, 
um, lots of lots of challenges itself, but I absolutely loved it. You know, got to take on the early years lead role, um, share our practice kind of within um, the cluster and within Bolton as a local authority. So it gave me kind of a wealth of experience really in um, communication and language and developing lots of strategies that we needed to, to, to use to support the children um, from our communities. Uh, alongside that, I've uh, been an early years SLE. So I've you know been privileged to be able to go and sort of engage in that school to school support, bring ideas back you know to, to develop my own practice further, which is just brilliant. Um, and through that, I've worked um, to deliver training on the early years skip program. And then more recently within my current role at co-op, I support teacher training on the ITT program there as well. So that's been great to be able to kind of see it in a couple of different areas. Um, I've worked with the Charter College of Teaching, I've written a couple of articles for them um, on uh, different early years practice and featured in their early childhood hub online. So, so developed some classroom practice videos and, and, and taken part in interviews. So uh, that's been, you know, a, a privilege to be part of that. And then probably most recently before taking on my current role, I worked for the DfE um, as part of their early years recovery program. So I was an expert um, going out to PVIs and some of the um, school-based nurseries following the pandemic, supporting them with their work on, on really improving primaries, obviously following COVID um, and the impact that that had had. So, you know, quite a journey really to where I'm at today. Um, I, <laughs> lots of different journey. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. What uh, I never told you actually, we we spoke, didn't we? Um, just in the last week, in the, in preparation for you coming on the podcast, and I never mentioned to you, um, I was doing some training. I think it was on the Wirral, probably two or three years ago now. I think at a school on the Wirral, and in the, there was a section of the training where I'd, I'd ask people to uh, a few questions, and then I'd sort of ask them to to discuss it. And I happened to walk kind of around the tables as people were discussing what, what they were discussing. And I happened to overhear two people talking about you and were absolutely glowing about your work. Oh, yeah. They were really talking about, talking about how you, I, th I think it was that you'd supported them previously with something and, um, and or had been along to a session that you'd run. And they were, well, yeah, and, and, and I thought, I must let you know when I see you. So, yeah, there you go. There you go. Your your reputation has spread far and wide. But, and I think that's kind of really what brought me into this role because we kind of worked on building that reputation in my last school and, and sharing practice, particularly on learning environments and, and also supporting communication and language. And, and I really wanted to develop that further, really, in terms of school improvement and, and offering that support. So, you know, I'm privileged to, to, to have the director role um, at Gold Academies and I'm, I'm one of two directors of early years and, and so I'm responsible for supporting the academies in Staffordshire, Merseyside, uh, so the Wirral um, and Manchester. And the other director, she supports schools in West Yorkshire region. So, you know, we do kind of have quite a wide reaching spread of, of schools that we support. But the, the challenge that, that my role brings in terms of being able to, to go out to a variety of academies and, and share practice and and share the ideas and, and strong practice that, that lots of our schools have got and offer that coaching and mentoring side of the world. You know, I, I find it really rewarding. So, you know, that's that's where I'm up to now. Yeah, fantastic. 
Fantastic. Um, we're going to talk, aren't we, specifically about um, some key areas of, of practice, some some of which you've been directly involved in in terms of within your school um, at ESA and other areas of the of the practice where actually it's about what you know about the schools within the trust or the academies within the trust and what and what's being developed there. And we're going to be talking about um, self-regulation, which of course is like a hot topic at the moment, isn't it? The idea of self-regulation, engaging young children, um, the skills that underpin um, that learning process and so on, and those learning attributes. And we're also going to be talking about the characteristics of effective learning as well. So, um, where do we start with this? Let's start with with ESA then, because of course that was the school that until just the last year or so you were based at ESA. So let's talk about the start of the journey for you in terms of within the classroom, in terms of developing self regulation, and in terms of developing um, those characteristics of effective learning. What was the beginning of the journey like for you? What? How did it start? Uh, well, I think some of us, it started with our cohort and, and wanted to, to really meet the needs of, of the children in our care. Um, we had identified that primary was, this is prior to the pandemic, this is going back at, you know, many years, um, that the primaries were a significant um, area um, of um, struggle for some of our children, particularly coming from disadvantaged backgrounds, you know, their ability to regulate and manage emotions, their communication and language. Obviously, we have high levels of EAL as well. Um, so that became the starting point, really, for us to build our curriculum. Um, we wanted to research the characteristics of effective learning. At that point, obviously, it was statutory to um, write the report, pass it on to one, share it with parents and so on. Um, so, you know, that was part of what we had to do. But we wanted to really look deeply into how using the characteristics as a starting point can develop self-regulation skills within our children and impact positively on all areas of learning and development. So I think that was the starting point for research and particularly we were concerned with how children learn and creating a really effective pedagogy in terms of promoting those values, those lifelong skills. And I think I think particularly recently, obviously since the reforms came in, we've got that increasing concern from, from everybody across the board with what our children learn and, you know, well-planned, rigorous curriculums with knowledge-identified, skills-identified, clear progression within vocabulary, which is all so important. Um, but actually, I think what we wanted to do was really unpick how that happens because you can have the best curriculum in the world, but actually if you've got children who are not resilient, who have not got those strong learning attributes, then you know the likelihood of them being able to retain any of that knowledge in that well-planned curriculum is going to be really low. You know, it's going to be unlikely that that's going to actually go in and become embedded. So, you know, I think characteristics for us is something you know that you've got to really protect and foster and actually utilize as that framework for underpinning everything that you do. And I think that's reflected in the statutory framework as well, isn't it? You know, even through the reforms, they're really clear about the fact that practitioners do need to adapt their practice. We need to respond to children's learning and the fact that they learn at different rates. And, and actually those characteristics are there for a reason. 
regardless of the fact that actually that requirement to write a report is now gone, you know, we shouldn't lose sight of, of the value of utilizing those characteristics as a, as a start point. So um, there's there's a wealth of research, I think, that, that we looked into, and there's, you know, more research coming out all the time on, on self-regulation, but actually the it's got that central place alongside those emotional and social aspects of development as being that real key indicator of later academic success. And I think that can actually be sometimes quite new for people because they're so used to hearing people talk about maths and vocabulary being those indicators of academic success that they think, right, well, that's what I've got to put all my energy into, you know, what vocabulary am I teaching my children? But actually, it's not, I think, I always remember Nancy Stewart, you know, who obviously um, was part of uh, the formation of those characteristics in, you know, back in 2012. And she's talked about the fact that you can't just put something into somebody's brain. Um, actually, it's about children having that motivation to learn in the first place. So, you know, that self-regulation side of things, that motivation, those lifelong learning skills are fundamental fundamental in terms of what's you know, wanting to teach the children any of that that knowledge. Um, and that that's where we need to start. So I think teaching and spending time on teaching children how to learn to be a learner, I think pays dividends if we can put the time into that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I agree with you completely that the I don't think we talk anything like enough about the characteristics of effective learning. You know, we talk, we talk such a lot, don't we, about what we want children to learn. We talk a lot about learning objectives and when those children are going to learn them. And all of that's important. But there is such a difference, isn't there, between a child who has the skills and the attributes for learning and a child who doesn't have those skills or attributes. And therefore, actually, if we don't get that right, we are not being, we're not being effective. We're not being effective as teachers if we don't talk about those characteristics of effective learning. Because how many times do we end up having to repeat and repeat and repeat something because the child actually or the children are not really in the right place to learn it? Whereas actually, if you get those attributes right, if you if you make sure that actually you, your children have got those learning attributes, they've got the learning skills to be able to take something on, and that they can make links and they can make connections or that they can focus and engage or whatever it might be, they could problem solve, then actually it's not as much of a battle. It's, you know, we're not fighting a losing battle in terms of teaching something. Actually, it becomes, it becomes more enjoyable. You know, it becomes something that's engaging. And you can see when that is happening in a classroom, I think. You know, I, I think I work with lots of people who talk about um, – you know, as part of my visits to schools, you know, I work with lots of people who will ask quite directly, quite often, well, what does effective teaching look like? You know, what does effective practice look like? You know, sometimes head teachers will ask me, what does effective teaching or what does effective practice look like in the early years? And I say to them, well, actually, it's about watching the children quite often. You know, if you watch the children, watch the children's responses to the teaching and learning experiences you will know whether actually the teaching is effective or not because you can see you can see high quality teaching and learning in the children's faces so you can see how engaged they are 
how focused they are. You can see how switched on they are, interested, excited to learn. You can see whether they are making links and making connections to what previously they've done or seen or been interested in. You can see that they are they are collaborating perhaps or learning in a way that to them is the best way that they can learn something. So they're not having to learn something because this is the way we're doing it. They're, they're learning something because this is the, the best way that they can learn it. So for some children, that will be about being outside and being physical. For some children, that will be about a different base or a different interest or fascination. But, there, but the key skills are being taught alongside those learning attributes. And we've got to get that right, I think. So yeah, no, I'm. I completely agree with with what you're saying there. And and it, I what I think is interesting is that I often don't see it to the depth that you're talking about. You know that kind of that really thinking, almost separating it out and and saying right, if we're really going to get this right, we've got yes, we've got to talk about the curriculum. Yes, we've got to talk about what children are learning. But actually, we've also really got to grip, got to get to grips with with what that learning experience is like for the children and what are those learning characteristics and attributes going to be like? How are we nurturing and fostering them? So, yeah, really interesting stuff, really interesting stuff. So so the starting point of the journey was for you as a team reflecting on on that. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And we, I think already at that time we were using the wellbeing involvement scales um, so we were looking at that in terms of monitoring children's engagement. And like you said, kind of you see, don't you, that um, learning is effective if children are highly engaged. And I think, you know, we've done a lot of work and training on that within our staff team um, so that we could start to look at the learning behaviours and, and the self-regulation at that point. Um, so that that was kind of the start of our journey. But actually, like you said, for us, we wanted to really bring to the forefront um, prioritising the characteristics, but having some explicit teaching about what that is. So it's not enough for us to know what the characteristics of effective learning are. We want our children to be able to articulate how they are learning and how they can improve on their learning, make adaptations, be resilient, bounce back from difficulties, have another goal, you know, a variety of those strong characteristics. But we want them to be able to recognise that in themselves and recognise that they learn in different ways. So like with, you know, you know, the age-old discussion of balance of child-initiated and adult-led, for us it was the same thing, but actually we wanted to balance you know, what our curriculum looked like with the pedagogy of the how and that explicit teaching of characteristics of effective learning as underpinning our curriculum. But we knew to do that, it couldn't just be an add-on, it couldn't just be a tokenistic reference to, you know, what, what the characteristics were to tick a box. Actually, it had to really be part of the culture and the ethos of the way that we taught our children in early years. So, um, so that was kind of the start point for things. And, you know, before we then looked at how to introduce that as a more robust system. Yes. And that's a big challenge, isn't it? I think there are, there are almost sort of two sides to it, really. There's, um, there's the challenge of making sure that ad the adults that you work with are absolutely switched on to watching for and engaging with and nurturing those characteristics of effective learning. That's one part of it. But then the additional challenge, as you've just mentioned, is actually really being able to teach the children to be able to notice, to be able to focus on those characteristics, to be able to 
to be aware of when they are learning and developing those characteristics. That's a big challenge. So how did you then go about that? How did that work? So um, it started by thinking about a system. So I think it's not necessarily new that some people might have, right, well, we're going to have a character for a characteristic and we're going to talk to the children about that or we're going to have it on a display. But, you know, we'd seen that before. You see it on social media and it's out there. But actually for us, we wanted it to be much more than that, like I've said. We wanted to look at a process and a, a real robust system for children to be able to learn about the characteristics, talk about it, articulate the learning that was taking place, but then reflect on that learning and have it as part of a, of a rigorous system. Um, so it involved lots of staff training on, on what that was going to look like and how we wanted to use that within our, our setting um, we looked first of all at assigning the um, characteristics to a character and we chose dinosaurs and um, something that you know was quite popular and generally is popular across earlier settings um, so we assigned each characteristic to a learning dinosaur and the aim, like I said, was about that communication and language and about supporting children to articulate the learning that had taken place. Obviously, our children had a language barrier there, so we needed to, to think of something that was child-friendly that they could really use in their talk and staff could model um, and scaffold and facilitate um, those discussions that were taking place. So in terms of the dinosaurs that we chose, um, we... We related them to the characteristics. So, for example, we had Triosaur, who represented active learning. We had Explorosaur, who represented playing and exploring. And then we had Thinkosaur, um, that represented creating and thinking critically. So they were the three core dinosaurs. We would teach the children uh, sentence stems to use alongside um, the dinosaur. So they were able to say, I've been a triosaur today because I tried again um, when I was um, writing the tricky word the, for example. Um, you know, really promoting the children to actively seek that challenge, but to be able to, to talk about it afterwards and relate their learning to one of the dinosaurs. Um, so it, it gave them that hook really into it to be able to discuss that learning but I think what was also key within that was the fact that alongside being able to relate learning to one of the specific dinosaur characters we rooted that within a system of reflection and I think that was the, the key difference to you know a setting that might have a display on characteristics um, but it's not necessarily um, at the forefront of, of what they do if that makes sense so for us we wanted it to be part of all our interactions so the staff were interacting and using the learning dinosaurs um, as part of those interactions in play, commenting on children um, and what they were doing and relating it to trying again or to thinking critically and um, using the dinosaurs that way in. We then uh, timetabled explicit um, sessions at the end of that sustained time within continuous provision. So those specific times took place at the end of the morning and at the end of the afternoon, and they would only be five minutes. It, it might need to be a little bit longer at the beginning when you're first introducing it, but generally once it's embedded, it becomes a five-minute reflection session. And the children know at that point that they gather um, as a class, they might um, spend some time talking with their talking partner about the learning that's taken place in their time and provision, 
and relating that to the learning dinosaurs and talking about their characteristics and how they might um, have approached a task, what they might do differently, how they might um, change things or improve on something next time. And then that would be shared. Um, we might share a couple of examples, but again, heavily modelled at first, but then eventually the children are leading that themselves and, and really using those sentence stems to, to guide the discussions. And, you know, for us as well, with the AL being a really high priority in communication and language needs, um, really needing to, to support that, we would introduce uh, actions alongside. So we use uh, sign along. So we'd support um, those discussions through that and through use of widget software as well. So we're linking it back and, and supporting that vocabulary development. So it was such a valuable winning opportunity from just that five minutes, but actually that became part of, of our interactions, part of the way that we were teaching and delivering um, our early years curriculum. Uh, so so that was that was the way that it started. We um, wrote a reflective article on it as well. So I co-wrote that with my colleague at the time, Matt Sherlock, um, where we talked about that process so that we could kind of share that practice. Um, it was a really good way, really, of us stepping back and reflecting on on a practice that we'd you know embedded, and the systems we identified actually children had been making progress because in autumn, you know, this was the level of discussion that we were having about characteristics at that time. But actually, compare that to spring, and and actually we've got really eloquent children who are able to have those really in-depth conversations about how they've approached a task and how they've changed something to achieve a different outcome, how they've um, developed it further. So the level of, of um, depth in, in those conversations really improved uh, over the year. We did notice, though, that actually when we, when we stepped back, that there were a group of children that who still were avoiding certain situations. There might be a certain provocation or an area of the classroom indoors or outdoors, for example, that they might not necessarily go to. And when we unpicked that, it was because they were frightened of maybe failing that or um, getting something wrong. So we thought, right, how can we develop the system we've got in place, the learning dinosaurs we've got in place to actually um, work on that and develop that resilience even more. Um, so we then introduced a fourth dinosaur who we called Mistakosaur. And the adults would then model how to make mistakes, how to get things wrong, linking it back to that dinosaur. So again, creating that hook um, to, to explore that further. And the children absolutely loved it. You know, they could then quite um, confidently say, oh, I've been like Mistakosaur because, I, you know, I didn't get that quite right. But actually now I'm going to be like Triosaur and I'm going to have another go. Um, and this time, you know, I've, I've bounced back and I've overcome It's absolutely that. brilliant. So, yeah, it, it just worked really well. And, and it did brilliant. I, Sorry, go on. Yeah, I, um, I, I had to say, just to jump in just very quickly, I, there were two things that really strike me from what you're saying. Um First of all, I think the what's really powerful is that is the amount of time and focus in terms of what you've put into it as a staff team. You know, like you say, it's not tokenistic. It's not something you just put up on the wall and say, well, this is what we mention every now and again. It's something that absolutely, you know, when we talk about the characteristics of effective learning underpinning your practice, 
this is what we're talking about, isn't it? You know, it absolutely is there, central to your practice, right in amongst what you're doing. It's part of your conversations every day. And interestingly, when you when you talked about the the dinosaurs initially, and you talked about you know calling the dinosaurs uh, or naming the dinosaurs um, according to those different characteristics, so that you could highlight different traits and different attributes. I was then I, I straight away I started to think. Of course, in order to do that, you've got to have plenty of discussion time and reflection time. You know, that was the first thing I thought. Of. I thought I thought, well, it, it's not going to work if you just show them on a screen and then that's it. And you just talk about it once a week. It's got to be part and parcel of every single day, hasn't it? And so it, it struck me that what you're doing there is in terms of the, the reflection time, it's partly it, it, it reminded me of the high scope approach the plan, do, review kind of approach of coming back to the children and what they've been doing and reflecting on it and then and then considering, well, what might I do next? If I've done this, what might I do next? All of those sorts of things. But also it struck me that what you're doing is you're really valuing the children and the children's learning processes. You're giving them time to think about it and time time is a giving children time to is one of the best ways that we can show them that we value them, I think. Whereas actually, how many times does it happen where, you know, the children are, are off in areas of provision. They are ex exploring, learning, finding things out inside and outside. And then we tidy up. We come back to the carpet and we move on. and We do something completely different. You know, we, we, we forget that what they've just been doing was really important and we start with something else. We go, right, that's that then, we've tied it up, we finished it, now this. When actually all of those things that the children have just been doing were really important to them, really valuable to them. They provided rich opportunities for conversation, which of course is key, but also rich opportunities for, as, you're, as you found, of course, for reflection and to consider those learning attributes as well. So yeah, really powerful, powerful stuff, I think. And I think as well for us, it's like you say, it's valuing the children's responses and actually their achievements within, you know, that's the day in learning time. But we know the value of spending time talking about learning. Actually, you see little trends, don't you? So in an early years classroom, you know, one child might do something amazing in the workshop area. The minute you share that, you will set that wave of of learning on, won't you? Because then you will have a whole host of other children who love the fact that you valued, you know, that child and, and a learning that had taken place there. So then they want to have a go because, you know, they want to, to achieve that and, and and be praised for that and, and recognised for their achievements. So you, you're doing that as well. It it ticks so many different boxes just from that, that five minutes. And I think there's also, it's coming back to how many classes do you go in and you ask the child, you know, especially in, in our roles, you know, you're not there all the time. So you're going in on visits and, and wanting to know what children are learning, what they're doing. And actually, the strongest learners will be able to, to talk to you about what's happening. But you, to what level that, you don't just want them to be able to say, I'm doing this now. Um, you want, it's not just a recall. Actually, it's about process, isn't it? So you want them to be able to talk eloquently about the process of learning but actually what they're then going to do from that so like why you talked about plan do review what am i going to do next 
how can I make that better? How can I improve on that? Yes, it's already brilliant, but actually we can do so much more. Um, and I think it's about that levelling the conversation uh, so that the children are really articulate speakers about the learning processes that have taken place. It is. The, the other thing that struck me about what you were saying was that I think quite often we talk about the characteristics of effective learning as if they are one set of skills and you kind of, you just, you either have them or you don't have them kind of thing. And that almost as if there isn't a progression of the character within those characteristics. And yet, of course, there are. And what you were talking about, I think, was really interesting that actually you developed a process where you started to track those characteristics of effective learning. When you talked about, well, actually, what, what learning attributes do they have early on in the year? How do we support them in, in developing the areas where there might be gaps? And then can we talk about it? Can we keep coming back to it later on in the half term or the term, later on within the school year to say, well, actually, did, have we made progress there or not? If not, why not? And if we have made progress, what do we need to be doing next? And I think quite often we don't talk about the characteristics of effective learning in that amount of detail as something that actually can be taught and nurtured and that actually we can show progress in, really. We talk about progress in all sorts of things, but we don't tend to talk about progress in the characteristics of effective learning. So I, I think that comes that's really powerful. It's not just something you report at the end of the year to parents or report at the end of the year to Key Stage 1 staff. It's something that could be tracked right the way through the year and that you can have a real impact on. Absolutely. I think, like you said, it's about putting the time in. So it's not it's not enough to just, you know, refer to us, you know, keys and dads. So it's not enough to just refer to them. The children need to explicitly have been taught what each dinosaur represents, the traits to those um, different dinosaurs, how the children can relate their learning to them. So we would have to spend an awful lot of time in that first half term teaching the children explicitly about that. You can then kind of withdraw that a little bit to then just move into your reflection system of, of five minutes um, twice a day because you put the time in so then actually what you want to achieve is you're stepping back children are in provision and actually you're hearing the children using that language you're hearing them talk to their friend and say oh, wow you've you've been like explorers all and you've tried something new and that's I think when you can say right okay yeah this system's embedded because the children are confident enough to be using that within their own play we know that they're like mimics don't we they want to imitate what they're hearing and if you've been that effective model and it's part of your practice then that will well resonate and the children will take that and use that within their play and I think that's when you know like brilliant this is working it's having an impact because they're using it within within their play um and again it's about it's about protecting that time and and having it as part of as part of your curriculum not not just seeing it as a as an add-on yeah no absolutely absolutely presumably as well you would see you'd see a difference at the end of the year in terms of the children's learning attributes but also going on kind of from from reception onwards so from, from reception into key stage one presumably the key stage one staff would see the impact of the work that you've done in terms of those learning attributes in that children would be engaged and, and ready for learning and being able to make links and make connections and and show resilience etc yeah absolutely i think as well 
obviously we talked a little bit about the fact that we've done a project in my last school looking at the stage one uh, revision um, and as part of that, we started to use the wellbeing and involvement skills to support that transition, but also in terms of monitoring children's engagement, which very much was part and parcel of the work that we've done on characteristics of effective learning. But that carried on. So they were able to, once that was embedded, look at, right, okay, well, they've, they've used learning dinosaurs. They had a reflection system. It might be that they changed kind of dinosaur approach, but actually that system of reflection very much still and was part and parcel of the curriculum, even in year one. And I think that, that for me, is really important because we know that the characteristics of effective learning are not just early year skills. They are lifelong skills. And actually, if it was up to me, they would run right the way through education and be prioritised in that way because we all know, don't we, that we can send our children from EYFS who can be strong, independent, um, little learners who are resilient and actually through curriculums, through timetabling, actually we can lose some of that sometimes. So we can get to this dish pin and not know where to go and get a ruler or how to go and get the equipment that they need. Yet in early years, they it's part and parcel of what they do that they go and find their own resources, they go and select what they need to, to achieve an outcome. And it's kind of not losing sight of that wherever possible. And I know sometimes that can be more difficult as you move into Key Stage 1 and Key Stage 2 and beyond. But actually finding ways, I know um, that there are schools who are taking a reflection system and using that in Upper Key Stage 2 and just think of the level of conversation that you could have, you know, having a five-minute reflection time before lunch with your Year 6 children Talking about the learning processes, the level of, of conversation that you could have with those 10 and 11-year-olds could be absolutely amazing. You know, talking about the skills of learners and how they've approached that task and how they could improve upon that. And the resilience and, and the impact of that could be huge. Yeah, no, absolutely. The other thing that struck me was the, the holistic nature of what you're talking about. In that I think sometimes when people talk about the, the kind of uh, the timetable and say say if we were talking about you know adding in some time for reflection every day um so five or ten minutes every day to sit at, maybe at the end of towards the end of a session i think you mentioned to come together to reflect on what you've been learning and how you've been learning i think sometimes people would say well let's have a look at my timetable because i don't think i can fit that in you know, where, where can I fit that in? That's 10 more minutes and I've already got a full timetable. And and I understand that. I get that completely because everybody is under pressure in terms of timetables. However, the the pressure comes when we don't see it as, partly we don't see it as, as, as valuable as other things that are there within the, the timetable. And I, I would argue that, I, I argue against that. I think that actually... You know, what we're talking about here is incredibly important. And if you don't get it right, actually, you're probably wasting your time in other areas of your timetable or other parts of your timetable. But also, secondly, it's something that's holistic. So it's not just about time that you're spending on the characteristics of effective learning. It's not just time that you're spending on self-regulation, because actually the conversations that you're having, you're developing the communication and language skills of your children. And as we know from 
uh, of course, well, as we know anyway, but as we know from the framework, the statutory guidance, uh, communication and language skills underpin all areas of learning. Therefore, if you're not giving time for this conversation, for these conversations, then actually you're losing out on really the most important part of what you could be doing. So again, if that's not part of your day, it really should be. And so there are lots and lots of reasons why actually this time to stop, this time to reflect, this time to, to talk about what you've been doing and how you've been doing and how you've been going about learning, actually for me is key really. It's a way of, I think, unlocking the potential of, of the learning potential of the children in the classroom. Really. I I'd completely agree. And I think you're absolutely right that I think the trend of go-to response, you know, people's timetables are, are really busy. And instantly if something gets added in, it, where, where are we going to find time? What's going to be taken away for me to be able to do that? But it's not about it being an addition. I think that's the way of seeing it, isn't it? If we can... Just by using that 10 minutes a day, five minutes in the morning, five minutes in the afternoon, actually you're going to save time because the culture and the learning behaviors that you're going to foster and develop by giving that 10 minutes a day is going to reap the benefits of that. And, you know, it will usually pay off. And actually, if you think of how many minutes across a day are wasted dealing with low-level behavior, children who might become dysregulated and need support. Um, actually, you're going to be getting that back if you have that system in place and you've got strong learning behaviours and you're working on fostering those skills by putting that time in. So I think it's it's seeing that as the payoff by really prioritising that. And I think for me, you know, if this was if I when I have this system in place and when I'm supporting schools to implement something like this, it's saying make sure you prioritise that. So actually, if everything else is going to pop, and it's one of those days and it's, I don't know, Christmas play practice and where else, always still come back and have your reflection because it needs to be part of that culture. And like you would prioritise phonics and you'd never not do phonics, for me, it needs to have that same emphasis. So we're still always going to reflect. It's also that nurturing, calming time to the day where you know, we'd have calming music on the children would would be in their calming positions and they would have that time with a partner where the valley nature would speak uh, speaking um, and responding to that appropriately. So it's a really valuable part of the day. Uh, but yeah, again, can be quite daunting. I think sometimes we've got such a lot to fit in, but it's knowing how worthwhile it can be. Yeah. So you spent a long time um, at your previous school at, at Easter Academy developing the characteristics, developing all sorts of strategies for supporting and nurturing those characteristics of effective learning, you know, from, from introducing the dinosaurs, from working with your staff team, from working on the timetable, building in time for talk, all of those sorts of different things. And so you've got that wealth of experience yourself um, in terms of introducing that with your own team. And then, of course, just over the last year, you've taken on a new role. So you've, you've become director of early years for the trust, for the Co-op Academy Trust. Okay. So within, within that role, you've been working with a range of different schools across a, a large area, as you mentioned just before. So a huge area. Okay. Um, what sorts of things have you then, how have you then supported that sort of practice within, within the schools that you've been working with? What's, what's your experience been like? Well, it, it, you know, every, every school is on their own journey. And I think that's that's the joy in this kind of world is the fact that 
um, the support that I can offer and is really individual um, and looking at the priorities of each individual school alongside obviously their whole school academy um, plan and, and priorities there. It's feeding into that. But for many of our academies, PSCG has come out as uh, being an area that they want to work on or develop further and everybody's on a different journey there. So some might have already had something in place, the characteristics, but might not have had uh, the explicit um, teaching to go alongside, if that makes sense. So some schools have wanted to include reflection time, so we've we've looked at it, looked at it in that kind of way. Um, others might have not had anything at all, and actually, you know, they've looked at their data, we've unpitched that and, and looked at self-regulation and thought that this could be a way into developing that further. So one school, for example, has taken it, as I described earlier, they've taken it fully as learning dinosaurs. They've introduced it. They've had, you know, a soft toy for each dinosaur that's represented it, which has worked really well. And the children have been able to use that in play. Nursery children, have, have again, it's, it's worked wonders in terms of supporting their communication and language and development there. So there's been some schools that have, have taken it very much, as I've described. Others that might have changed characters and really gone with the children's interests, which I think is is brilliant because actually I will always, with any support that I'm offering, you know, we want we want your leads, you want your practitioners to really have ownership of something that they're rolling out for it to be sustainable and for it to really achieve you know those desired outcomes. We want them to be leading it. So you know, some have taken superheroes as the um hook characteristics. Others might have looked at TV characters, you know, that they're really excited about and, and that's worked well for them. So I think it's about making making it your own and looking at how it can um, be used within your context um, and within your cohorts. But you know they're kind of a variety of ways. I think we've got another school as well that have, have looked very much at a whole school kind of methodology. They've had uh, whole school values obviously as co-op, we have our ways of being, so our, our values that run throughout co-op. So they've taken that and fed the characteristics of effective learning through into that. So again, they're very much looking at transition, which I think you know works works brilliantly. What we just now to take through so that it doesn't just stop at the end of the section. Actually, they're thinking about the characteristics as children move through into key stage one and key stage two. Right. Yeah, that's really powerful, isn't it? And I, I guess that that must be very rewarding for you as somebody who started this within one of the academies to then be able to work on a wider scale with a number of different academies and a, num a number of different staff teams in seeing your work, but also for them to be able to take that on and for them to develop it themselves in their own way based on the needs of their children or based on their particular particular school. And so, yeah, really, really, really interesting stuff. Um, so you've talked about um, your own experience at ESA and you've talked about that the, the amount of progress that your children had made in terms of the characteristics of effective learning and how you could see that or your, your team could see that in terms of key stage one. So they could see the impact of the work that you've done, um, those characteristics of effective learning, children self-regulating children being engaged in learning um, so you could see that impact and you could see the progression in that um, what I was going to be what I was interested to talk to you about and to ask you about is when you've worked with schools across the trust 
have they reported a similar picture? Have they have they seen that impact over time in terms of their children? Yeah, I think it's important to note that everybody's at kind of different stages of implementation, but for those schools who implemented them a year and are able to, to see that impact, they've really reported uh, the fact that the resilience of, of target children as a group, for example, has really improved. Children who quite often became dysregulated when they were going into provision and had to make those learning choices and found that quite overwhelming were much more able to uh, regulate and go and make those decisions and um, use the learning dinosaurs as a way to support children when they're, they're in child-initiated learning. So they could they could really report a stronger link there between initiating a system like this and seeing improvements there. Others um, have talked about children's self-satisfaction and motivation really improving in terms of their approach to learning and the attributes there. So they were able to solve problems, they were able to bounce back much more readily and with confidence by having that whole relating it to those characters. We've also had um, staff talk positively about the fact that just communication and language skills, you know, from children in nursery as well as reception, you know, the articulation of, of the process and the fact that they could relate um, and talk really confidently about not only what activity they've been doing or, or you know, the, the, the um, provocation that they've engaged in, but actually the process and the improvements that they've made and they were able to identify the next steps that, that might be needed and, and they might want to, to take part in next time so that they could really up-level that and think about how they could achieve a different outcome. The, um, there's been some schools as well who've really focused on writing. So they've looked at how a system like this has supported children to not only engage in the writing process in activities that might be in, in provision, but also uh, look at the outcomes there. So how that's improved upon their application of skill, because they've been much more um, confident to have goals. So again, relating it back to those characteristics of being a triosaur, you know, they could have a goal, they could think about a new way of doing something, they could apply their phonic knowledge much more readily because they were able to relate it back to those strong characteristics and, and how they could make those improvements. So I, I think it's that, it's again, it's coming back to that time, isn't it? So putting that time in, using things like well, and involvement sales in terms of monitoring difference there, in terms of children's well-being and their engagement and using that alongside the system. But early days were really positive in terms of in terms of that feedback. Yes. Now, and what I think is great though is that what you're doing there is you're starting the conversation, aren't you? You know, you you are building in time for that conversation, not just within one particular school, but potentially across across schools or academies within the trust. You know, that you are making sure that you're raising the profile of the of the characteristics of effective learning and self-regulation. Because actually we can't assume that that everybody will talk using that language. Who will we can't assume that everybody will talk about the characteristics of effective learning and self-regulation skills. Because actually if we don't as people who work within the early years, with the early years sector and supporting schools or academies within the early years, if we don't talk about them, then actually there is a real danger, I think, that 
that they kind of just become a bit obsolete. You know, the characteristics of effective learning have been part of the EYFS framework for years and years and years, and they are, they should be, or, or they are and they should be a really valued part of our of our framework. Um, but there is a real risk, I think, if we don't keep talking about it, that actually they kind of get squeezed out. There's a real risk there. And so, yeah, I think we've got to keep talking about them. And I, that's what I love about what you're doing there is that you're raising the profile, aren't you, constantly, which is brilliant. Yeah, it's always flying the flag for the characteristics. And, you know, where I can talk about it and mention it, you know, I, I do. And, and really, I think we've, we've done a lot of work in terms of talking about primaries as well, really developing practitioner understanding of the fact that actually if, if your data is telling you that there is a problem with literacy or actually you need to improve outcomes in writing, in reading, then actually let's not pick that further. And most likely we can go to the primaries and it will be rooted in something there. And and it's the same with the characteristics, isn't it? I think a lot of, you know, um, by unpicking our data and using people progress and whatever effective systems, you know, schools have got in place to do that. And out of that challenge in terms of challenging practitioners to to, to use that and then inform their curriculums and, and adapt their teaching in response to that. But a lot of that can come back to the characteristics and can come back to the primaries and getting that right. It's the foundations, isn't it, of everything that we do. And if there's if there's an issue there with something, that's what we need to rectify before we, we start looking at writing. Because actually, if there's an issue with physical development, then it's going to affect the writing outcomes. So, you know, we've done lots of work in terms of producing a sense check document and things to share with, with um, schools within our trust. Again, really exploring the holistic nature of the early years and the fact that actually everything links and is interconnected and we need to, to have those characteristics underpinning that. Yeah. Now, it's really exciting and really interesting work. And, it, of course, it's one of those projects that is never done, isn't it? It's never finished. You know, you're constantly reflect, reflecting on it. It's something that you're constantly engaging with people around um, and com constantly developing within each of the academies. Um, but I was going to just ask you, just before we finish, because um, I know that you're a busy person, you're doing lots of different things. I, I was going to ask you about what next for you. So, you know, what's happening next? What's on the horizon uh, for you as a trust or perhaps for you in terms of your current role? Uh, so what what we want to look at really is kind of implications. I think lots of our earlier settings are, are in the early stages of looking at something like this as a system or, or they might have implemented it, like you say, last academic year. So for those schools that have not yet done that and are interested in, in prioritising this, then that, that will be something that we work towards. But also, again, like I mentioned earlier, looking at that use the characteristics throughout school and, and how we can use a reflection system to support children of all ages to, to really develop strong independent learners to talk about the learning that's taken place and to talk about those processes and be really eloquent in that. Uh, but most excitingly, uh, I listened to a podcast last year uh, by the EEF and heard Ruth Coleman talking about her high field resilience tracker and it was just inspirational. I went away from it and researched it, got in contact with Ruth and really became quite excited at how valuable that could be for us as a trust, particularly as PSED is a high priority area and 
it was something that I thought could be really useful. So we've got Ruth offering us some training this year, and then we can look at, at rolling out the Resilience Tracker. Now, what the Resilience Tracker does is it talks about the fact that resilience is ever-changing. So actually, we've not just got one level of resilience and that's it. Obviously, it's impacted like our well-being and involvement, very similarly to that. It's impacted by what's happening around us. So if there's a new baby in the family or we're moving house, then you know our resilience levels might drop. But actually, by using something like the Highfield high Resilience Tracker, we're looking at they have a tree of resilience. So they look at different factors. So we've got I have factors, I can factors, and I am factors. And actually, we can track across those different factors of resilience and then really unpick if a child's got particular gaps in one of those areas and then how are we going to plug that gap. So I think when I heard Ruth talking about that, I just thought that could be that extra layer that would really support the work that we're already doing in terms of characteristics of effective learning, but really take it to the next level by having um, something additional to help us unpick specific gaps with resilience as a focus. And I think what also excites me about that is the fact that it's very versatile, a bit like um, how I've talked about characteristics being able to be used across the board we see the resilience tracker very much as something that could be used at key transition points. So when you've got children moving from year group to year group, actually it would be great to use as a benchmark of this, you know, this is their resilience at the end of year two. Let's look at it again when they're moving to year three. You know, what does the new teacher need to do? You know, is there anything that that we can do in terms of transition to support that resilience uh, and develop those levels? So Really exciting. Yeah, I was going to say that is that is a great thing to be involved in, isn't it? I'd say it, what's I think what's great is that um, obviously the podcast that you listened to from Ruth really sparked your imagination in terms of really connecting with where you're at and kind of what you want to be able to do next, and it made a link for you, made a connection for you, and I, I'm sure that actually lots of people listening to you talking today listening to you talking about embedding the characteristics of effective learning, about those those learning attributes that, that run, kind of, if you like, underpin all of those learning skills, I'm sure a lot of that, if not all of it, actually will, will absolutely make that same connection with people, you know, that people will actually make that link and say, well, actually, you know, that's where we're at. That's what we need to be doing. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I think it's almost like paying it forward, isn't it, that, that actually yeah, Ruth's inspired you, and uh, I'm sure you've inspired lots of people from what you've said today. So thank you so much for, for joining us on the podcast. It's been brilliant to talk to you. Thank you, Andy. Thanks very much for having me. So there you have it. Thank you very much to Saya for joining us for uh, this week's episode of the podcast. Definitely lots to think about there around self-regulation and those characteristics of effective learning. And I definitely urge you to, to reflect on some key questions. You know, so really think carefully. You know, Do you use the characteristics of effective learning as much as you perhaps should when, when you reflect on your practice? Do you, do you think you use those characteristics as much as you should? Do they... Do they underpin your practice? Are they central to your practice? Because otherwise, actually, we could be missing something, I think. You know, if we think just about what children are learning and not thinking, maybe not think enough about actually the process of learning and the quality of that process, then maybe we're missing a trick. 
It's also important, of course, to think carefully about self, self-regulation skills. They're a key part of the EYFS framework. But again, I don't think we talk about them enough. And, and yet they are so crucial to that learning process. So yes, lots there to get us thinking, lots to really reflect on and consider. I hope you found the episode useful. Thank you again for joining us. And, uh, and yeah, have a good week, everybody. And we will see you next time.